Hello homies. Today's topic is mostly about murder, but we do cover some other sensitive topics, including sexual assault, animal abuse, and abuse of a corpse, and very briefly, necrophilia. If you are not equipped to listen to that today, we totally understand, and we will see you next week for what is most likely a haunting. For those of you who stick around, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy episode one of season two of Homegrown Horror. In a world where justice is hard to come by, where danger is just a feather away, and hope feels like it's flown the nest, there's only one waterfowl you can count on. From the executive producers that brought you season two of Homegrown Horror comes this year's number one movie critics are raving about, The Duck of Justice. When the law enters, it's on webbed feet. Hello! Welcome back to Season two, welcome back. The main spooky podcast about main spooky things, true crime, horror, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, we have a good, good lineup for today. Terrible lineup for today, but I'm be a co-host. I'm Jackson, a co-host, and, and I, I hope yeah. you. I hope we sound a little different. I hope we sound markedly improved here. <laughs> really hope so. That's going to be a lot of effort for nothing. There's still more improvements to come. But uh, in case you, I'm guessing we'll post before the episode released, but you'll mm-hmm. see a little bit of difference in the office setup. Yep. Uh, got some sound panels, got new mics. Yeah. We're I'm, ready to rock. I'm very excited about the new mics. I'm very excited. Sound panels are in our logo colors. We are dripping. I'm so excited. We got real podcast drip over here. I know. I feel like a real podcaster now. We're getting there very slowly. <laughs> yeah, having a podcast that runs for a year with over 60 episodes means nothing until you have sound panels in your office. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got a, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Thanksgiving happened. Holidays are about to happen. Uh, all unimportant. First snow happened. First snow happened. Which I know, we, I, the reason I pointed out is because we made a big deal of it last year. Yeah, we so did. we'll make a yeah. big deal of it this year. Absolutely. It was but, very slushy snow. Yeah, and none of that matters because we just missed y'all so much. We missed y'all so much. We're so happy to like get back into this. So I guess we should just jump in because this is going to be a meaty episode. If you've seen the title of this, you know that we're in for a doozy. We're in for a doozy. And you're probably like, wait a second. So I've got a couple <laughs> disclaimers. Number one is, yes, I understand that this person is tangentially related to Maine, but I think it's important to talk about a lot of the stuff that comes with his crimes. And also, fact of the matter is, he spent a lot of time here, like, in his not murdering yeah. time. And that's, there are a lot of people who believe that there's no way that he just stopped doing, st- like, it's doing stuff, like, while he was hanging out here. It's possible there are some people who believe that there may be links to some disappearances or some murders here. And um, we're talking about Israel Keys, but um, 
a lot of, he, he covered a lot of ground, long story short. Um, yeah. The second thing I wanted to asterisk on this is I worked very hard to kind of piece together as much information that is available about his crimes, his alleged crimes, the crimes that he's linked to, and his victims. There's just not a lot of information about them. And where possible, I would like to, you know, talk about them and, uh, you know, the standard, like, we try to center victims as much possible. But this guy got around, and I hate him. So... Great tease. Great tease. Yeah. Yep. I mean... I just wanted to put that f- at, at the front because, like... I, this took a while and I I have seven pages of notes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how long we get through them. Uh, But yeah, no, I've heard a lot of awful things about this. And, uh, you know, it's kind of sacrilege that I really haven't heard about this character. And I run a true crime horror podcast. Yeah, because I I think that you had said that you'd seen some. I've seen mentions of this, but I don't know the full extent of this person's crimes or like the horrors within. Yeah, we we're gonna we're gonna cover some great topics today, <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that can. I think there's a lot of good that can come about talking about it because there are still so many m- murders that are unsolved, and also um, the fact of the matter is like there's a lot of activism to be had okay. surrounding this case. So let's dive in. In 1978. Israel Keyes was born into a Mormon family in Richmond, Utah. You know, fucking stellar start. (laughs) You know? Um, He was one of ten kids. All of them were homeschooled until their father, John Jeffrey Keyes, denounced Mormonism. And then they moved to... uh, He purchased land in Colville, Washington. And then moved all of them out. And when I, like... When I say middle of nowhere, like, this is the middle of nowhere. Mm, they are not around like people (laughs) what corner of washington's that like far north but okay remote it's remote yeah the family joined a christian identity church do you know what christian identity is that sounds familiar um does it have international in the name at all? Does it adopt that eventually? It's white supremacy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christian identity is all about like, it's like our Aryan heritage is make, so important to our Christian, is intrinsically linked with our Christianity. It doesn't make sense that it's Christian identity. Well, I guess it's, oh, it's linking with our Christian identity. I, yeah. I guess. like, it, And the church is called the Ark. Weird. Oh, no. Uh that's just so strange that like white supremacists would like revolve around Christianity considering where it started. But uh yep. fuck it. <laughs> yep. So this is the kind of yeah, so this is what we're this is the kind of ball game we're playing with today. So the Keys lived an austere life in Washington. They had a one-room cabin without without electricity or running water. They were isolated from the world aside from the their um church going neighbors, Mm -hmm. people who belonged to the Ark. Later in life, Israel would describe his um, upbringing as Amish. In addition to working hard to survive, Israel also honed his skills in carpentry and he built his first cabin by the age of 16. Do not be impressed. He's a terrible person. Okay. (laughs) 
The family had a few neighbors, one of which was the Kehoe family, who would eventually be murdered by their oldest son, Chevy. So Chevy's not the only child who was raised in a fundamentalist Christian lifestyle who would go down the path of crime. Oh my goodness. So I think that's really interesting. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this uh, must have been kind of breeding a lot of uh, tilted views. I think so. Mm -hmm. In his adolescence, it was reported that Israel kept a journal in which he would document his daily sins. But too bad he already had a rap sheet a mile long. That's healthy. As a child, the Keys children... They said that I should document it, not that I should repent. That is true. I just have to I just have to document it. <laughs> and like one of the ones that it was like specifically talked about was like he was lusting after his girlfriend. And I'm like, dude, you have got bigger problems than wanting to fuck your girlfriend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Here we go. As a child, the Keys children had to... Um, forage and hunt for food and israel enjoyed hunting particularly he carried around a pistol as a child and okay at, good at age 14 he was gifted with a uh, 38 caliber revolver by his grandfather which he would later modify by making a homemade silencer wow. we love stem in this household <laughs> just not like this just very innovative you know not only was he like he was this very, is like the good son it's kind of keying up like kind this. Kind of, yeah. He was very enthusiastic about hunting, but he was known to also kill local pets, lots of cats and dogs, and it led many of his peers to steer clear of his path. There were at least three witnesses that I could find who had seen him come, like, torture animals that's a classic serial killer like upbringing is that they start with like small animals and pets and all that mm -hmm. and uh there was an oxygen documentary and they they interviewed some people but there was a girl from his church who noted that just being around israel made her skin crawl as uh as he reached adolescence he began to burglarize nearby homes they said that i, I think it was more I initially thought they were talking about, like, as, as a teenager, but I think in total, like, through his lifetime, okay. he committed 20 to 30 break-ins. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a lifetime yeah. goal there. He would steal firearms, and he built up a considerable collection of said stolen firearms. Would he mostly steal firearms? Yeah. Okay. And his parents apparently did find it, and all they did was just make him apologize. Wow. Okay. Not, ooh, wow, this is... Oh, that's not, like a red flag or anything not to say not to say that they didn't notice red flags because they did and we'll get there but israel realized his peers were perturbed by his actions and he was like that's interesting that they don't think that killing cats is fun like i do <laughs> something's wrong shame. with them yeah exactly <laughs> not me. so he it's like they don't know what they're missing <laughs> his reaction so his way of fixing that was to try and hide his antisocial behavior and his violent tendencies and just try to blend in. Some people believe that his first murders were uh, committed during his teenage years in Colville. Apparently, he may have mentioned like his first murder was in the mid-90s, but he never admitted to any of the crimes that authority, like the, the murders that authorities think he committed which included the abduction and murder of 12 year old special olympian julie harris in 1996 and the abduction and murder of cassie emerson in 1997 as well as the as the murder of cassie's mother 
the thing with that was like, so they found Cassie Emerson's mother's body in a burned out trailer, but they couldn't find her. They found her body a year later, about 13 miles from the home. So Keyes never admitted to this. However, he did admit that he, his first arson that he committed involved a trailer. Mm -hmm. So some people think that he murdered them and then burned the trailer and that that's, but that's tentative. It's not conclusive. Right. But I wanted to put them here because these murders come up in the discussion of Israel Keyes. Due to Israel's increasingly worrying behavior, the family moved to an Amish community in Smyrna, Maine? Smyrna? How do you, how would you say that? Uh, yeah, Smyrna. Yeah, sorry for everyone that live in Smyrna, Maine. (laughs) Which is, they're probably not listening because it's mostly Amish people. First time hearing of you. This was in the late 1990s. The move to Maine was accompanied by an even more zealous turn to religion. The Bible, daily Bible study happened. This is where the alleged journal entering comes from because he, they were like, write down your daily sins. And that his parents also banned anything that was quote unquote against God, including learning to play musical instruments and watching popular movies. From what I could tell, all of the Keys children did experience some sort of rebellion against... What's wrong with movies? Was it just like a product of it's against, the... Yeah, it's against God. It's not godly. How is it not godly? I don't know. Maybe they were concerned about like they were... Specifically, I think they were concerned about the music Israel was listening to. And so they were like, popular media is of the devil. I don't know. That's what it sounded like to me. But some of the other... His other siblings would like sneak out to like watch movies at their friend's house and stuff which is still that's like you know that sounds like normal teenage behaviors like my parents don't want me watching these movies i'm gonna go to my friend's house and watch these movies exactly of course teenagers are rebellious israel keys decided to take it one step further he had a blowout argument with his parents in which he denounced christianity and informed his parents that he was an atheist (gasps) oh no no i don't think it could get any worse from here his parents then disowned him kicked him out of the house, and forbid his younger siblings from seeing or speaking to him. In response, Israel moved to New Jersey, where he enlisted in the army. And so this is where the crimes really kick up. (laughs) Exact dates are unknown, but between 1996 and 1998, allegedly, he sexually assaulted a teenage girl in Maupin, Oregon. The girl oh, no. had been tubing along the Deschutes River oh, yeah. when he abducted and raped her. And uh, so we're, when we talk about teenager, I'm like, they say that she's anywhere from like 14 to like 18. Gotcha. Around this time, apparently he'd begun taking an interest in Satanism and planned to ritualistically sacrifice her. Oh, okay. But he changed his mind and returned her to the place he had taken her from. Girls, Back to the river you go. Yep. The girl's identity was never revealed, but this then this is part of the pattern is a lot of his victims. We don't really know who they are. So he just like admitted this at some point? Yes. Okay. And then nobody is able to like follow up on it. Correct. Okay. Israel was active in the military from 1998 to 2001, and he was stationed in Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington. Hey! (laughs) Fort Hood in Killeen, Texas, and also was 
he was also sent overseas to Egypt at one point. He was honorably discharged after a DWI, which is... You can get honorably discharged? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) For that? Yeah. All right. I think it's weird that they were like, you got arrested for basically a DUI. Honorable. We're still cool with you. Yep. He was also awarded an Army Achievement Medal for his meritorious service while assigned as a gunner and assistant gunner from the 2nd of December 1998 to the 8th of July 2001 in the Alpha Company 60mm mortar section. Hmm. According to what Israel would later tell the FBI... He did not commit any murders during his time in the army. However, he did admit to the rape of two women during his time stationed abroad. Okay. One was a sex worker and the other was a college student. Oh, God. That's the thing. Is The, the thing that really blows my mind is the fact that he's like, oh, I'm going to admit to this heinous crime because the rest of what I did is worse. Pales to, in comparison. He's just doing this for like a kick. I guess. It's like, just unload everything. Okay. Yeah. So, after his discharge, he moved to Nia Bay, Washington. There are at least five victims from his time in Washington, which likely... uh, Yeah. Which likely occurred between 2001 and 2006. When interviewed, he claimed all of the victims were linked to currently ongoing investigations. So, there are three... uh, There there are two that were... There was one couple... Two that were, like, victims that were linked. Mm, okay. But not, like, they were killed separately, but they are kind of t- put together in the same crime. And then there were three victims that he killed separately. Got a question for you. Were I, they kind of similar? Was there a clear MO between them, or was it random as hell? Are you going to get to that? I'm going to get to that. Okay, Just pin put, it. Put the biggest pin in The pin biggest, it. worst pin you can find. Big bad pin. <laughs> Deep sigh. I, yeah. <laughs> he did not reveal any names beyond some details on his methods of killing and disposing of their remnants. Like he was like, one's in a lake. One I buried. Very vague stuff. In 2007, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska with his girlfriend and his daughter, where he started his own construction company. At some point, he began to commit crimes away from home, and he would Mm -hmm. cast his net far and wide. And again, most of these crimes are alleged because they have multiple key key details missing, and they are, or are tentatively linked to him. If he, like, I'll tell you if he's admitted to it. Okay. So he purchased 10 acres of land and a cabin in Constable, New York. Per his confession, he committed at least one murder. The victim is still unknown. In New York, authorities believe that this confession is credible. They don't think that he's just saying it for kicks. According to American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century by Maureen Callahan, Israel is a possible suspect in a crime spree in Boca Raton, Florida. Boca Raton. Boca Raton. Boca Raton, Florida. Yeah. It was deemed the work of the Boca Killer, and it included the abduction of Randy Groenberg, who was murdered after being shot twice, the abduction of an unknown woman and her toddler son, who were then released unharmed after the kidnapper forced her to withdraw cash from an ATM, and the murder of Nancy Bocchio and her seven-year-old daughter, Joey, who were both fatally shot in their vehicle in a mall parking lot, 
The Mocha killer has yet to be identified. Whoa. Okay. In April of 2009, Israel is believed to have murdered Deborah Feldman in Hackensack, New Jersey, before burying her near Tupper Lake, New York. (sighs) Israel admitted to robbing Community Bank in Tupper Lake in April of 2009, just days after possibly murdering Deborah, where he stole $10,000. Okay, interesting. Small amount. Just kind of a random, probably spur of the moment. Yep. So this crime, he had, this is one of the another crime he admitted to. Uh huh. This is one of two that we have like a lot of information on. In June of 2011, Israel traveled to Essex, Vermont, as part of a planned crime spree. Two years prior, he planted a murder kit. He did this a lot. He would travel and buy. He would buy supplies in the places that he was visiting bury these murder kits which were five gallon buckets containing guns ammunition money restraints and chemicals to aid in the uh, decomposition of bodies as per officer brendan rodella how many of these did he place we don't know oh my gosh that's awful i mean like i have an emergency pack for like almost every i've like two in my house and one in the car yeah. So, like, I can get being prepared, you know? Yeah, but his whole thing was, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, like, collect all the things that I need, bury them. For the so murders. that way, when I want to murder someone in the future, I know places that I can go and just pick a random target. It's, like, it's such a pain in the ass to carry this around. I should just uh, place it in my frequent areas. Yeah, right? So he placed this particular one in a neighborhood near Essex. And he had hoped to carry out a murder before proceeding to rob several banks and commit a string of arsons. Oh, good. After recovering his kit, he identified an abandoned farmhouse where he planned to commit some murders and he randomly selected a target. According to Murderpedia, originally he attended to attack a motorist that he saw near the farmhouse, but he changed his plans because he was like, you know, trying to go after someone that's in a car, maybe not, like, the the best idea. No, no. So, on June 8th, he broke into the home of the couriers, Bill and Lorraine. He disabled their phone lines before abducting Bill and Lorraine. They, there's not, like, they just say that he, he subdued them, but, like, it's two grown adults. Like, they're, like, in their 60s, but... Somehow he subdues them. He puts them in the car. He also steals a Smith and Wesson snub nose thirty eight revolver uh, caliber revolver from the home. Wow. He relocates the couple to the farmhouse. He brings Bill to the basement to separate them. Both of the victims attempted to escape. Lorraine was recaptured, and Bill was shot to death with a ten twenty two Ruger charger, which was again modified with a homemade silencer. He sexually assaulted Lorraine before strangling her to death. He then brought their bodies to the basement. He burned them and left them in bags. He planned to come back to burn down the farmhouse later. But that ended up not happening. Uh, He, oh, yeah. So he was going to also use their car to travel. I think he was going to, like, head, like, to New York to commit another robbery. Their car was having some serious malfunctions, so he actually 
um, disposed of the car, not disposed, he left the car in the parking lot of a nearby apartment complex. He rethought his plan, and so he decided to return home, but he stopped in White National Monument Forest in New, uh, New Hampshire to dispose of remaining evidence. Hey, we were just there. I know. Later in October, the farmhouse was raised and the bags containing the courier's remains were brought to a landfill. They didn't know oh. what was in the bags. Uh, it's that That's is, sad. So their bodies have never been recovered. It's <sighs> horrible. And I wanted to make a side note here. There there's a website called morbid tourism. And like, so when I was trying to find out more information about their murders, this came up and it's, it's the site of the form, the farmhouse. It's the former site of the farmhouse. Like it's literally just a field now of where they were murdered. And like, that's the, that's, that's the draw of this field. And I just have to say that's weird. And if you think that it's like, "Hmm, I think it'd be cool to visit where someone was murdered. I really want you to rethink that. I would understand going there for the purpose of, trying to catch some ghosts but I, I i do think it's weird that people would make a pilgrimage to a site where someone was murdered it's kind of like the weird like jeffrey dahmer fandom that's kind of resurfaced now like people are super into jeffrey dahmer i, know, I, I don't know if we talked about it do we talk i don't we know talked we a little talked bit about, about the uh the people that would show up to the trial dressed, dressed as, as the his victims. victims that's fucked and up. he literally like one of the one of his fangirls um he proposed to her i think they got no they got married in the court like Ugh. during the course of the trial like oh boy i don't know how they allowed that i would have i don't know i he admitted to this yeah he also he he didn't have to admit to this next crime because th- this is when we his his um stuff starts to catch up with him so February 1st. He's like, where did I put that bag again? That's the thing. It's like you bury so many like of these murder kits. You're going to lose track of all, you're dropping evidence probably all over the place. That's the thing that pisses me off so much is he didn't. He didn't drop evidence all over the place. No. Well, like that's, that's the thing is like he's so like it's I. I <sighs> it sounded like he was very meticulous about hiding. Especially when he had the conscious effort to, as you mentioned, burn the bodies, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, he was trained to murder, so like to kill. So he understands what to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got the medals to prove it. <laughs> Before we move on, I have a question for you. Do you believe that he didn't murder anybody when he was in the army? Um, I mean, no. <laughs> Why would I trust the word of this guy? But the, the, like, I can't prove it. I can't even prove like, you know, some of these like other things you're mentioning. It's like, I would believe, yes, he is admitting to it. Other times I'm kind of like, maybe he's also just fucking with us. You know, maybe he's just lying. He's just throwing a random lie in there every once in a while. You know, keep people guessing, waste people's time. I don't know, like, it's, we'll get there. We'll get there. I got to say, though, it's like, yeah, he's admitting to everything. Like, the wide detail of what you have here is uh, impressive. Yeah, like I said, um, I mean, again, the the Boca, Ra- the Boca Raton thing, we don't know if that's true. 
Um, yeah, that's a that was a weird Deborah one to me Feldman because like specifically we don't know because like wait so you did spend some time in Florida yeah but Boca Raton that's like one of the wealthiest communities in the country. It's I just did not know that. Yes, um, aside from I think some literal literal man made island that's off the coast of Florida. Interesting. Um, okay, that's yeah. in that makes that even more interesting. I knew a kid. Uh, that lived that was from there and he is exactly how you'd imagine yep yeah we do know that he did he did also rob this bank <laughs> that's a given we know yeah. that no, we like, know that he robbed this bank the one the this bank in new york because they probably had the footage mm-hmm. as well this was the time you could have like some security footage yeah and there there's a little bit more i i I'm, I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself because I have a deeper conversation about this in a moment. Okay. So February 1st of 2012, Samantha Koenig, who's 18 years old, she works at a coffee stand called the Common Ground or Common Grounds. And literally it's like a, it's like a food truck, but it's there all the time. Like hmm. it's, it's not, it's like an actual, like just shack. <laughs> Think of Aroma Joe's, but smaller. Okay. Yeah. Much smaller. Much smaller. Muy pequeño. Yeah. And she, this is in Anchorage, Alaska. It's around 8 PM. She's working all by herself. Israel walks up to the stand and he orders a coffee. And there's one other car like he real like he clocks that there's one other car it's idling but there does not appear to be a car that belongs to this employee okay he pulls out a 22 taurus revolver oh no and tells samantha this is a robbery this is also all on they have they have footage of this this because there was a um camera inside so they have footage of he tells her like to turn off the lights to empty the cash register and then to get on the ground while this is happening that other car pulls away oh oh that's fucked up oh no yeah and this is something that i really care about as somebody, as a young girl who has worked retail and the, I care about the safety of pe- young girls working retail. According to reports, Israel had been casing the coffee stand for some time. He noted that um, typically it was staffed by young girls who were alone. Mm-hmm. He took our note of their hours of operation and paid attention to when... There weren't going to be high us. traffic. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is this is off of a very busy road. Ooh, okay. So he instructs her, turn off the lights, turn off the open sign, empty the cash register, get on the floor. He then, I, I don't know if he comes inside or like, it's hard to tell, but he gets in there, like inside and he zip ties her arm, her, her arms and he tells her he has a police scanner on him. He does. This is something that he picked up, like, 
that he picked up kind of around the time he murdered the couriers. He's like, if I have a, if I have that, then I can keep track of police movement. And he right. says, if you set off a silent alarm, I will kill you. Oh my god! If I hear on my scanner that police are responding to a call here, I will kill you. He locks down the coffee stand. He stuffs her mouth with napkins and he abducts her. He, she actually almost escapes. And I say almost like super tentatively because I guess this is a super weird detail. Apparently there was a, a, a brand new Canon camera just hanging out in the parking lot. Yeah. And he got distracted by that for a minute. And so she tries to escape, but he uses his gun to you know, be like, don't try anything stupid. He brings Samantha to his home. It's around 11 p.m. now. His girlfriend and his seven-year-old daughter are mm-hmm. inside the house. He brings her to a shed mm-hmm. in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Like, he turns up some rock music. Mm-hmm. So that way nobody hears anything. All right. He tells Samantha he just wants ransom. And once he has the money, she'd be free to go. He presses her for information about her debit card, which apparently she, like, it said that, so she shares a checking account with her boyfriend. He has the debit card, but she does give him the PIN number and tells her, this is where I live with my boyfriend. That's where the debit card is. Right. Initially, Israel was like, okay, I'll just abduct him too. He has a lot of plans that he thinks about, and I don't know if it's like, It seems like the ones that he follows through with are ones that he's planned more meticulously. But there are a lot of times where they're like, oh, he thought about doing this, but then changed his mind. Right. So he decides to change his mind. He has her PIN number. And so he then goes to her boyfriend, the place that she shares with her boyfriend. He breaks into the truck where the debit card is, gets that and her cell phone. He goes and tests the debit card, makes sure that the pin is right. Mm -hmm. He goes home, he rapes her. Oh my God. And he kills her. Later that day, Israel and his family leave for a two-week cruise in New Orleans. And he leaves her there. Oh, my God. Okay. So, like, he kills her and then is like, well, I'll finish this when I get home. Yeah. It's like, save this for later. While he's in New Orleans, the Anchorage PD have started looking for Samantha because her work has reported her missing. Mm-hmm. They're like, she worked last night and then didn't come in this morning. Yeah. And also, both her father and boyfriend saw Israel steal the debit card from the car. Really? Yes. What the fuck? So they tell the police this and they're like, "Uh, that's weird that she's missing and And someone someone came and stole her stuff. Yeah. So the search is on. And then on February 24th, I'm not sure how we get the ransom note. I think... It's texted to her because Israel has her phone. I think it's texted to her dad. Okay. But there is a 
I'm just gonna so Maureen Callahan, the one that wrote the novel or the that book about him, mm-hmm. also did an article for the New York Post, and so this is how she describes the ransom note. It included a photo of the teen, hair braided, eyes open, a newspaper dated February thirteenth, twenty twelve, in the frame. Proof of life. This is false hope. Because remember how yeah. I said she's dead. Yeah. So. He used fishing wire to sew her eyes open. He put makeup on her her body and took this photo of her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He used, he went and he, he, or he happened to have an old newspaper. I'm already depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Homegrown Horror Horror. Season (laughs) 2. We're already sad. He demanded $30,000 and then he promptly, like immediately after doing, taking these photos and sending this ransom note, he dismembered her body and disposed of it in Mantasuka Lake. What the fuck? Also $30,000? Seriously? Yep. I feel like you should ask for more. I, it's, it's terrible. So yeah, so he, he got home, did all of this stuff disposed of her body and then hops on a flight to texas he burns down a farmhouse and a barn in alito and then robs a branch of the national texas bank of texas and azel the amount is unspecified and he's at this time he's also suspect in the murder of jimmy tidwell an electrician that disappeared from longview and apparently also in this time he attends a wedding for his sister. Fuck that guy. <laughs> like it's so just in between all of this fucking madness, he's just like, I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to go to my sister's wedding. And I'm like, it's un- unthinkable. Yeah. It's unthinkable. No, it is. While in Texas, Israel began withdrawing money that had been placed in Samantha's checking account as part of the requested ransom. On March 6th, the Alaska authorities and the FBI were alerted that someone was using the debit card. They notified officers because they see withdrawals were happening in Texas. So they alert officers in Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. They're tracking the withdrawals as he's moving through the Southeast and they're reviewing ATM surveillance to try and pin him down. They were able to view the footage, like the the footage, and they see that whoever did the whoever is withdrawing this money has a Ford Focus. So they put out an APB on mm. this Ford Focus, and apparently he swapped out one Ford Focus for another. Oh, that's like, weird. He swaps out his rental car. Okay. And I don't know why he doesn't think, oh, maybe. Oh, this is the same car. Like... Yeah, no, exact same car, exact same color. Like, everything's the exact same. So strange. Okay. And on March 13th, he is pulled over for going just over the speed limit in Texas on the highway. And they were like, this car matches the APB. And when they're looking in the car and they're talking to him there's some cash on the seat and it has pink dye on it mm, wow because that that it came Slowly. most likely came from a dye pack that yeah. would be used at a bank so they call for backup 
and he's surrounded, Israel is arrested and officers find Samantha's debit card and phone in his possession, as well as a ski mask, a gun, and maps highlighting specific locations in California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Murder packs? Maybe. Maybe. Or, yeah, I assume if he's going to commit murder, there's most likely a murder kit there. On March 26th, he's extradited to Alaska, and he is indicted. Extradited to Alaska? It's a state. (laughs) That's the word that they used. Okay. (laughs) That's the word that they used. He was indicted. His trial is set for March of the following year. Israel begins speaking to investigators and he confesses to specifically the murders of Samantha and the couriers and he starts dropping hints. Remember how I said like he's giving very vague hints? Yeah. He's giving vague hints. He plans to cooperate with them if they comply with his demands. Right. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. He wants to be executed within a year. And he wants them... I want you to speed this up. <laughs> Pretty much. He's like, I know that... Because I get there in a minute. Yeah, I hate but like, being so, bored. <laughs> so he has studied serial killers extensively. And he knows when they're caught, even if they're put on death row, they languish in prison for a prolonged period of time. And he's like, oh, okay. I just want to... Like, if you're going to do it, do it. The other thing... And this is the biggest fuck you. He asks... Please keep the story regarding Samantha's murder from the media because he wants to prevent his daughter from suffering as the result of his actions. What an absolute fuckwad. No. (laughs) The amount of rage I had to contain doing this. Like, there are a lot of things that we cover on this show that make me mad. This is one of the worst, I think, in... So, unfortunately, his identity is revealed publicly, and then he refused to cooperate further. He attempts to escape at least once, and then on December 2nd, 2012, he was found dead in his cell. He had concealed a razor blade, which he used to slit his wrists, and then he attempted to strangle himself with a bedsheet. He ended up bleeding out. He was not successful in strangling himself. Um, His suicide note offered no additional clues. And we're still no remorse. The weird thought process, this is morbid, but the weird thought process of like slitting your wrists and being like, this is taking too long. I need to speed it up. Yeah. I. This guy was impatient. And well, Probably the worst quality about him, B. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to kill you. Um. That was actually like a Norm MacDonald uh, joke. It was like, you know what the worst thing about hitler was he's a hypocrite (laughs) i need to leave (laughs) also in his cell they found drawings in blood which included a pentagram 11 skulls and the words we are one the fuck authorities believe that the 11 skulls may reference the number of victims yeah, That's I know. I know. It's like I don't know. I don't know. I also want to take a moment to just be like, unfortunately, like Satanism does get a better. <laughs> um, oh, it's not about the, the, we're defending <laughs> Satanism. No, here's the for real though. Um, <laughs> Here we are. 
I think I, I think I've mentioned to you like I've gone to like the Satanic Temple in Salem. Yes, but that's so a, it's that, like, it's, it's it's an organization. It's an organization, is... but also like for example, like the Church of Satanism and the Satanic Temple, neither are just made up of serial killers. And nor are they just sacrificing people. I don't like I just want to put that out there that it's not because he's a Satanist, it's because he's a fucking monster. Yeah. No, I mean, we knew that. <laughs> I'm just... We don't need a new satanic panic here. Um, okay. Part of why Israel drew so much attention, and remember how... We're taking that big pin out now. Once uh, he... Lots of attention once his crimes came to light. He did not have a pattern or type when it came to victims, which is super unlike a serial killer. It's a lot of, it's, because good example is, like, the couriers. Like, he had a murder kit. He was planning this murder. But he was like, it could be this person. Doesn't work out. Let me go to, let, let me try plan B. Right. Very weird. Yeah. Very odd. Like, um, Samantha also seemed, like, uncharacteristic from what we're kind of getting. Yeah. Gleaming from some of these details. She, I mean, aside from the two that he may have murdered when he was a teen the two young girls right okay they were young she like she was like i think the only the youngest other noted victim everyone else is like in their 40s or 50s except mm-hmm. for if he is the boca killer the seven-year-old joey mm-hmm. he also claimed he was like i don't he said i don't kill children or parents of children because i don't want to get in the way of that relationship this fucking code of ethics the fuck so only the young and unmarried can die the unfulfilled police police do not believe that just like a lot of course not police are also skeptical about his claim that he didn't kill that he he was on a murder hiatus when he was in the army they were like People have been asking for me to make a comeback tour, but you know, I'm on hiatus right now. Fucking nasty. Most of his crimes appear to be motivated by money to a degree. Yeah, I mean, there's a $10,000. He's holding up the coffee stand. Um, But some people believe that the bank robberies were to fund the traveling for his murders. So I was like, okay, I'll do, I'll only do crimes if it feeds into my murder addiction. Yes. So it's like, this is just fun money. This is just murder money. That's what some people think. We don't know because he didn't tell us. He also went to great lengths to avoid detection until Samantha. Mm-hmm. And I, you made a point about him being um, impatient. Like, it's very, like, he hadn't killed anyone, like, where he lived until that time. He had left Alaska over 30 times in the span of eight years for his murder plots. Mm. And he would, you know, he buried murder kits, and they, they at least have some confirmed in the United States, in Canada, and in Mexico. Mexico? Mexico. Okay. Like actual Mexico, not new Mexico. Mexico. Not new Mexico. (laughs) Jesus. He, yeah, he buried these so that way he wouldn't have to 
bring stuff would with him. Would he go him. to like Cancun a lot or something with his family? <laughs> He wouldn't go with his family. He would just go. Oh, the, okay, just here's the thing. Himself. He was like, oh, my, you know, don't talk to my girlfriend. She has nothing to do with it. And I'm like, I'd be sus- would you be suspicious if your spouse just like goes on trips without you pretty frequently? Look, I mean, people have quirks in their own lives. So like I've got a cousin who is really awesome. Uh, one of the things he likes to do is just take plane rides though by himself. Oh <laughs> by himself, he likes to like review airlines. Basically, that okay. He's a genius, by it's the way. It's actually really funny because yeah. I've been I've been watching a guy on YouTube. His name is Downey Live, and he literally just goes on trains. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but when you were like, yeah, he flies on airplanes. I'm like, he likes to ride airplanes. I'm like, that's weird. But I I'm get, like, yeah, I get I... trains a lot better because at least you can like you have leg room and you can stand and walk around a bit. You can sleep. You can, you can go. You can go walk to the dining car or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's beds, you know. It's like that makes he sense. He gets out me. and like he'll like walk around a little bit while they're stopped. Like I've, I've wanted to take giant train rides before. Like, um, I remember trying to plan a trip with my mom where we were going to take a, the Siberian Railway, <laughs> which is a long ass tray ride, but we were yeah. like, this would be fun. This it's like, just be interesting to see how desolate fun. this area oh is. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't know. You're I... looking up a thing. Yeah, I am looking up a thing. Um, sorry. Give me two seconds. That's okay. Uh, just gotta find the one. I was just loading up my mainism because I forgot about it. Hey, hey, <laughs> Shh, forgot <not> that. that. <laughs> Nothing's changed. Season two. Jackson forgets the mainism. I got a question for you. Yeah. So like he he the impatient thing is something I'm kind of hung up on here. You know, he's like, get this done in a year. If you hypothetically mm-hmm. were on death row, it's like I don't know. I wouldn't be in much hurry to die. I'd be like, you know, I know they got a library in this joint. Might as well crush some books. Crush some books. <laughs> okay, I think this is the one. Yep. So that's the. This is the map where they have. Um, this is a kind of a bad shit map. So, these the circles indicate areas where he may have committed murder. Is his area of travel like where he's been about? Yeah. Okay. And, and then, then there like is this distance. mark here because so when he um These are kind of bullshit honestly. Like if we're take let's take a like critical look at these maps. Yep. You know that this was made by some fucking cop because he's like, "All right, I remember him saying something he was around mid Texas, so we're just going to make this oval here." <laughs> like mid Kansas or here and then like, "Oh yeah, around Chicago." Yeah. So, because, yeah, with Chicago, he also, that's where he he stopped that. One of the other things that's characteristic of, like, his murder trips, I would, let's call them, he would leave, but then hit a bunch of different states. So, he flew from Alaska into Chicago before driving to Vermont, committing the murder of the couriers, and then driving to New Hampshire, where he dumped the stuff before heading back to Alaska. Was there much record at the time with airlines to, like, track passengers at this moment? Like, because I feel like now if you were to do this, that'd be something that would raise the biggest red flag is, like, we can actually track who you are as a passenger, what you purchased, and see, like, everything. It's, like, the police could access that. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I, I it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I think that, but that's part of what they, they're looking at a, 
Because they, part of the reason they have that map is because they are just doing their best They're with the information best. that they have. Yep. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, this fucker also studied serial killers and he read Mind Hunter at a very young age, which is about <laughs> Ted Bundy. Yeah. He idolized him. He based his escape plan on the one that was used by Bundy. Don't know if you knew that. Ted Bundy escaped prison at one point. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. He actually, like, I think he was, like, he would, he worked out in jail, like, in prison. Yeah. So that way he could, like, physically, like, escape. And he would be physically fit enough to do that. Obviously, they got him back. But. Honestly, so, that's another thing I would do if I was in prison for an extended period of time. Just get swole as hell. What else are you going to do? Read book. Strengthen my mind. Strengthen my yeah, body. You, oh, God. I'll come out a better human. <laughs> I don't think that's usually what happens. He also expressed an admiration for killers that were never caught. And he was ba- he basically was like, if you're a serial killer that gets caught... Wait, if they caught, were never caught, how does he know who they are? No, he doesn't know. Like, yeah, he goes to the convention every year. <laughs> Anonymous serial no, killers. He's, just sort of, he's sort of like, I think it's wonderful that there are serial killers. Don't take this out of context. This is me pretending to be Israel Keys. You have my express permission to make a soundbite of B and what she's about but to him, say. But him being like... I think that people see. I think that serial killers who didn't get caught—that's the dream. That's amazing. They've really done it. What the fuck? It's fucking. And like, I think I had mentioned to you, you know, when the Aurora shooting happened, he was—he took like an interest when like they informed him of like what was going on. This guy is off it. I can't. He is a lot. My note says he had a lot of whacked opinions and the guy was a fucking menace. That's <laughs> what I said. I love it, dude. <laughs> I Yeah, at this point, like, I was... Literal menace. I've been working on this for a while because, like, like I said, it, it was difficult because I, I used, like, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, a bunch of different articles. Um, there's a Criminal Minds wiki, like, for the TV show that listed all of his crimes. Or, you know, and some, like, I was just trying to piece it all together. <laughs> And that was really hard. <laughs> and <laughs> the other thing is, like, to imagine, like, that's what the cops are doing, but, like, on an even bigger scale it is a thing. So, what now? He took his secrets to the grave, and he, le- he leaves many loved ones of his potential victims without closure. Authority, like I said, authorities have had difficult trying to piece together Israel's movements over the years. Because, again, it's a puzzle. They're, like, I don't know if they have, like you said, maybe they have airline records. They're, tr- you know, taking... What he said, like, the info that he gave them, they probably are able to work with his girlfriend and be like, do you have any records or receipts, like, anything like that to try and... Sounds like he kept a pretty tight lid on everything. Yeah. Yes. Part of the problem, and that's what the article that I just brought up that has the map, it's from NPR... And they discuss the fact that there is not a unified base for database for adult victims, mm-hmm. whether they be like we know that they're like missing, missing murdered. murdered, like when they find bodies, just zip zilch nada. He traveled so extensively from major cities like Chicago to L.A. to his brother's place here in Maine, in and out of the country. Wow. It's a Herculean task. Yeah. 
And uh, Daisha uh, Eaton for NPR says, because I, I think that they explain it so well, Bell, who interrogated Keyes extensively, says that Keyes preyed on people in remote locations, like in parks and along trails. Mm-hmm. With few exceptions, Keyes took the names of his victims to the grave. Bell says that using multiple existing missing persons databases run by many different parties, state, county, and local officials, as well as nonprofits, is inconsistent, confusing, and overwhelming. Estimates put the number of ident- unidentified human remains in the U.S. at around 40,000. Somewhere among them are likely the names of Israel Keyes' other victims. Oh my god. And, yeah, like I said, I did a lot of work to try and pull as much as I could. There are people who go way more in-depth. There are more in-depth accounts of things that, like with the couriers and to Sam and even to like the animals when he was a kid. No, I hear I you. I mean, refu- you could, I, I fucking refuse. You could literally make a whole podcast about this guy. I'm sure. Yeah. The, and there are people who do get into it. People do multiple episodes on Israel keys. I'm sure if they I'm wanted to like milk that. it, they could do some fanfic episodes. Fuck, fuck no. <laughs> and the other thing is like each, each victim is more important than the last. Like we know the couriers, we know Sam and yeah. I think that they are important, but so are the ones that are unnamed and that we don't have any information on. And I would love to see moves to make a more unified database because like this is an, this is, luckily a rare example of the sort of chaos and destruction a single man can do and it's it's one of those things where it's like how how many years did he go unnoticed there are Mm -hmm. forty thousand unidentified remains in the united states alone like and, and also we know about the less dead in terms of like people of color, um, trans folks, sex workers. There's probably even more. Wow. Like it's, it's overwhelming to mm-hmm. think about. And just to think like this, again, like his territory was so vast and... It's, it's, I find it hard to believe that, like, he, he had connections here in Maine. He would stop and, like, visit. There, I've, I saw posts on Reddit that were, there was one person who was talking about, like, somewhere, like, kind of in the Kennebunk area. Um, you know, they were saying, like, oh, you know, my parents were, you know, vacationing in that area. And, mm-hmm. they were, you know, his mom was talking about, there was this guy who was, like, super sketch and was, like, trying to, like, interact with her. And later when the Israel Keys came out, she was like, uh, it looked like that guy. I don't know how true that story is, but then also how many unsolved murders are there here in Maine in the time period that he was here or was in and around? It's, and I, it's not, I don't think it's fair to like give him credit for, oh, that's awful. Give him link everything to him but it's hard to believe that nothing hit close to the locations he was just at you know it's hard to believe that 
I think part of it is hopeful, right? You know, it's like we want to believe that within all the missing persons cases and the murders that have happened in this time that have gone unsolved, um, that there could be such an easy person to pin this all on. And maybe that is the case because, again, they're random. But, you know, if we look at, like, cases of missing girls, people being shot, you know, it's easy to be like, he could have been related to it. But I'm glad that it's not a tribute to him because yeah. until we're 100% certain, we need that. And that was the thing. I wanted to be very clear that it's like the the things that are alleged are alleged. The things that are tentative are tentative. He's a suspect. They have not ruled anything out. Like, until I we want to figure... be super clear about it. But I wanted to mention it because yeah. his name has come up even among authorities for it. So it's not just like people talking shit on the internet. You know, I. We got to figure out necromancy if we want some solid answers. <laughs> just ask the ghosts and maybe they'll. <laughs> we'll just do a seance. Oh yeah. Figure I... this out. <laughs> so... I'm sure. I'm sure there's a freak out there that has tried to have a seance with his. Oh. <sighs> Part of and like that morbid like, tourism oh, we we're talking is, about, you know. Yeah, the other thing is like you probably, I, I, you don't even know what this fucker looks like. I don't. Do I was like, does he even look good? No. That's the thing. Okay, well, it sounds like he. That's him. He looks like a lacrosse bro. He does. <laughs> the thing is, like, even this, like, I, I've seen people that look like him. That's the thing is when people are like, well, someone who looked like him. I don't know. He looks pretty generic. This one also says necrophile. Oh, Oh, no. no. (laughs) We don't need to get into that. Actually, yeah, I think that was also a thing that he did that to Sam's remains. Oh, fuck. If I remember correctly. Yeah, because I think that's, I think they talked about it a little bit more in the last podcast on the left. Hmm. I. (laughs) Yeah. Gross, dude. Yep, it says th- uh, three confirmed victims, 11 plus suspected. Damn. What an awful human being. Oh. I guess those are the... Oh, those are the 11 skulls and the star? I guess so. I, yeah, again, I, there are a lot of things that I'm just sort of like, it's, it's one of those things where it's difficult to strike a balance. <laughs> So I know, like, yeah, we have jokes here and there, but it's difficult to also strike a balance between, like, I don't want, like, I definitely don't want people leaving this being, like, let me, let, like, just being, like, just talk about Israel Keys. No, I think we should talk about his victims, too, the ones that we know of, and also work to, you know. One of the things that they did do is, they're part of the reason why they're also trying to figure out where he, like, traveled is because then they can put make that public and be like if you have information and you're in this area and around this time period something weird happened like they can try and be more specific right there's a lot of work to do but that's israel fucking keys woo what a great time i fucking hated this like uh well, th- thanks for joining us for the first and last episode of Homegrown Horror. That's the okay. So I will say, like, uh, after being on a break, I was like, uh, "Oh, that was loud." Uh, I was like, hmm. 
I had our my, next purchase I, is pop filters. I, yeah, I could not. I didn't. I didn't sleep after you, doing this. You said that you didn't sleep. And yeah, I don't know if it's just because like I also I've taken a break from tr- true crime altogether. Like yeah. not horror. Like I still have been watching like stuff about horror and whatever, but like specifically like true stuff. I took a break. And I don't know if that just allowed my brain to like totally reset, and now it's just like stop. It's it's <laughs> hurting. It's hurting getting back in. It's yeah, a rough one because it's still something that I am interested in, and I want to continue exploring and telling stories. Yes, of course. I mean, it's like these but... are stories that are worth telling. They're interesting, but also horrifying. Um, but it's I think good for us to like handle this, and I think sometimes is a healthy way <laughs> yeah the break was healthy the break was healthy the break was healthy you know what i did but, uh... mostly during my break i played a 15 year old video game <laughs> is play... that the mainism <laughs> i played that's no. usually how you introduce yeah no the right <laughs> <laughs> i played uh i played oblivion the elder scrolls mm, game mm-hmm. and i i splurged a little bit i bought the in total, seven dollars worth of DLC. Oh, that's nothing. for this old ass <laughs> Xbox 360. You're like, game. I spent seven dollars. Like, you know how much I spent on my Gotcha games? <laughs> uh, I am on hiatus because it's Christmas. On like, Gotcha games? Okay. It's good. been really hard because, like, one of my games, they just completely re- re- reoriented things, and they're like, "Hey, we have a new monthly subscription, and look oh at my, all the stuff you get." And I'm like, ah! "Oh my fucking god!" I feel like we need to like take you away from. The gotcha games. Don't take my iPad away. <laughs> well, is there ones that are free that we can give you? <laughs> they're just not as fun if they're free to play. Oh my god. <laughs> I need to be in financial debt <laughs> to enjoy this. <laughs> Please support the podcast so that B can get her gotcha games. Uh I've got a mainism. Hey, hey, it's a mainism. <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, like uh, an Oblivion uh, guard NPC would say, stop, you're violating the law. But this would probably say, we're talking about the duck of justice. I have questions already. (laughs) I am also quite confused. Um... The Duck of Justice, for the uninitiated, including most of us in this room, uh, is a stuffed duck that was gifted to the Bangor Police Department. He is in a glass display and has his own sigil located at the Bangor Police. So you can find him just kind of hanging out. There's a plaque that literally says the Duck of Justice. Duck of Justice. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently, actually, this also happened kind of recently. Really? Yeah. Uh, the wooden ducks, uh, taxidermied, uh, taxidermied, 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 taxidermized, uh, garbage can <laughs> cast off from the Bangor District Attorney's Office was given a new identity by Police Sergeant Tim Cotton and has been a social media star since 2014. So, yeah, 2014, pretty, uh, pretty recent, I'd say. As far as he's like, a social media star? He's a social media star. Too bad he's not alive. <laughs> Too bad. 2014. What year is it? It's almost 2023. Dang. Yeah, I've had to like at work start document, like doing documents for 2023. And I'm like, 
I put one as 2022 today and then I sent it over to be looked at by someone else. I was like, no, no, don't give me that back. <laughs> so he's been in the force for about nine years, which means he's about 11 years away from pension. Okay. So that's exciting. Excellent. Yeah. I hope he gets to retire. I hope so too. You know, like he's obviously doing a lot of good for the city. I like, um, I like when police says, do stupid gimmicky shit say, like this. It says you know? it's in a police museum. You want to go see him? Not a police museum in the department. Yeah, it said in a police museum in the department. Oh, God. I even... I didn't listen to what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, have we a should police definitely check it out. at the department. I wonder... Yeah, it's like, here's the history of us. What a strange thing to have. The history of us. The bang. <laughs> the Bangor Daily Ducks. The Bangor Daily Ducks. Uh, yeah, that's it. The Duck of Justice. Go check out the Duck of Justice and Bangor. I'm sure that if the Duck of Justice was on the case, Israel Keys would have been caught. <laughs> um, while we're here kind of towards the end, this is where we sort of close things up. Mm-hmm. Um, we're glad to be back. We've got a lot of fun stuff. Um, like I said, we sound different because we've got sound panels and microphones and uh, we have some great stuff coming. I have some other... I have at least one other big topic planned mm. for this season that's going to require a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's still, there's one from last season too that I wanted to, tr- there's a book that was recommended to me by someone on the main Murder Reno's Facebook page. Okay. And I haven't been able to find it. This person's m- mother... Maybe? Or, like, someone in their family. Forgive me if you're listening and I am screwing this up. But, um, because I have it, like, saved in my phone. Because it's been so long. But this person's family member wrote this book on this murder that occurred in in Buxton. Wow. And I've been trying to find the book desperately. Like, Allegra got a library card at both Portland and here in South Portland. And they don't have it, so... (laughs) And, like, the only place you can get it is, like, there's, like, this out-of-print, like, specialty book thing that I found. And it's, like, $80. Wow. So, (laughs) I'm trying to see if anyone local, like, has it. Mm -hmm. But, um, that's another one that I have planned. I don't know what you've got going, what you're thinking about. Well, you know, just a little kind of taste, I guess, of kind of what we're what I've been looking at. It's going to be a lot of missing person cases, so it's going to not be fun. No. <laughs> and then we have to f- cook up some more ghost stories. <laughs> I got a couple in the works, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so there's some stuff in there that I'm uh, considering. Uh, I'll probably bring, that might be the next one. I, I'll yeah, bring we up need a, something like Bring up a little palate cleanser after this bad boy. But we're so happy that you've decided to come back to us. <laughs> Thank you so much. I know it's like probably like suicide almost. Not suicide. Bad term. It's it's not. Shut the fuck up. It's, there's, it's not an episode of Homegrown Horror if your phone doesn't go off. <laughs> I know it's not a. Uh, it's not like, I guess, career savvy or whatever to like take a two month break. But. Yeah, no. I think a lot of podcasts do because, again, yeah, like do. especially if you're doing true crime, it takes a toll on you. But we missed you. We're happy to be back. I missed you sitting on this couch. I missed you too, B. <laughs> it's always fun to be here, you know? Yeah. That was the first thing I remember when we left. I was like, oh, damn, it's been like a week since I talked to B. 
feels so empty. (laughs) We did our best. We did our best. Check out our Instagram and our Twitter if that still exists. Go ahead and message uh, message us. That's all the details. I just don't. We don't post really on Twitter. Twitter's. Or check it. So hit us up on Instagram. Yeah, we are. Allegra actively monitors the Instagram. So definitely. And then we also have our email address, which is in the show notes. Send us some emails. Please do. (laughs) We'll, uh, you know, if your question's good enough or you just have a question that I think is funny, uh, we'll read it here on the podcast. So we'll shout out your name or whatever. Yeah. But, um... (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thanks, listening, homies. Boy. Hello, homies. Thank you for listening to episode one of season two of Homegrown Horror. My sources for today are Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Criminal Minds Wiki, A Chilling Look Inside of One of America's Most Infamous Serial Killer Cases by Maureen Callahan for the New York Post, How to Catch a Criminal, A Traveling Killer's Untold Horrors Part 2 by Officer Brendan Rodella, with no unified database, Many Murder Victims Remain Nameless by Daisha Eaton for NPR. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon. You can reach out to us on Instagram at homegrownhorrorpod, Twitter at hghpod, or send us an email at homegrownhorrorpod at gmail.com. We hope to see y'all again soon.